Hello and welcome to the Property Management Show. I'm your host, Alex Osinenko. My day job is a CEO of 4.5, a marketing company that works exclusively with fee-based property management companies. I spent the last seven years of my life helping property management companies become more successful by improving sales, marketing, and operational efficiency. On this show, we'll deconstruct success into its key components and invite subject matter experts to help you improve every facet of your business. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode number 33. Great to have you. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to solve another big problem in the space of property management. I have an awesome guest I'm going to introduce in a second. But first, let me um, let me introduce some data that I come across from the Iceberg Report regarding the opportunity in the property management space. So right now, if you, you know, in the, in the U.S., there are about 22 million single-family and fourplex up to fourplex rentals. Out of those 22 million, 14.3 million or 65% are self-managed by the investor or the landlord. This gives a vast opportunity to about 32,000 small property management companies out there. So that's how many of you are out there really competing for the business. Having been in property management for nine years and spending a lot of time in the trenches with my clients and and, and during conferences and everywhere else, um, you know, if we follow as a U.S., if we follow the Australian exam- example, in Australia right now, about 70% of single-family similar properties are professionally managed. My hunch is that there'll be another about 8 million single-family rentals coming into the professional management over the next five years. Essentially, this means that your portfolio will double by default, right? So you can double your business. In reality, what's going to happen out of the 32,000 property management companies, there'll be a lot of consolidation and the best players will get the majority of that growth over the next five years. So I think the opportunity is way too big and this is a great industry to be in. Um, But I think the biggest chasm we have to cross as an industry is to build the trust between the landlords, investors, and the professional management. Right now, that is the chasm, and we got to start building the bridge across that chasm. And I think one of the key things there is the customer experience, right? For both owners and tenants, some people say, well, tenant is not really a customer, but they are, right? So both tenants and owner experience needs to be improved in order to bridge the chasm. And the only way I know of to accomplish this is to empower your team, right? And I always say this is my motto to my website. You know, happy employees make happy customers who in turn make happy shareholders, okay? And I have a person here I'd like to introduce uh, as my guest. His name is Adam Hooley. Adam and I met at LPMA conference in Australia and Gold Coast just a few months ago, really. And I sat through Adam's presentation. It was fascinated by the implications. Specifically, Adam spoke about the framework of the high-performing team. So, Adam, it's a pleasure to having you on. Please introduce yourself and tell us what this topic came about and why. Good afternoon, Alex, and thanks for having me on the show. So one of the things, and I think you've opened with some really good statistics there, and, and we have the same problem over here in Australia, is that how do we um, offer true value to our client? Uh, and we have a portion of the market over here that's obviously self-managed. Um, what we're having is also a large portion of the market that doesn't seem to be seeing the value in the property management industry, even though they still have their, their rental managed buyer. Um, so we have some really rich data doing that. So one of the things is that if you can put a high-performing framework into your team, you're driving the decisions down into the team, you've got loyalty out of your team, what you're doing is you're producing a high-performing team for your business, you're engaging the team more, which means they now have a career path and that they're now moving forward um, to, I guess, present your clients better. So this all came about uh, from me. I dove into the property management industry about 15 years ago. I've been in real estate all my life. Um, and I was in a corporate environment before that with a large business, uh, and I picked up some some habits around operating corporately and managing teams and things like that. Uh, and when I decided about 15 years ago that I wanted to focus more on real estate, 
Um, this is where I use those tools to come into real estate um, and, and work with real estate businesses to change the way they, they do things. Um, so this is where these, these concepts came from. It's about understanding that the real estate was really missing some fundamental concepts about managing these high-performing teams so that they can offer true value to their clients. Gotcha. And Adam, you said your background is in, in more of a corporate real estate. Is that correct? And that's where you're taking your experience into, into a maybe smaller business? Absolutely. So it was. I worked for a corporate uh, business that was a hybrid around the rural industry, which was still had property management and real estate sales and rural property sales, but in much more of a corporate environment. Yeah. Gotcha. And right now, um, this concept was it introduced in the book? I just want to make sure we kind of flesh it out completely. If people have, want to follow up on this session and read some stuff, is there a way for them to download information on it? Absolutely. We put together a book which Ben White published, which is called Building Blocks, um, and it's available online. You can download that for free. And a lot of these frameworks, and a lot of these concepts for the high-performing team are basically straight from that book. Um, so we've managed to try and collate the best parts into uh, you know, a quite navigable book. Gotcha. Yeah, and so I have to give props to Ben White and, and the, the thought process that goes into those books. I mean, I have all three of them. Uh, on my shelf, every one of my, my employees, every, yeah, it's a required reading. And, and in fact, you know, I, I, myself as, as a four and a half, we're we a are service business and we're structured very similar to our clients in terms of delivering service. And in our case, it's marketing. In our customer's case, it's property management. But, and I, I already spoke to Adam about this. Um, as a team, we are converting into the squad structure, which is what we're going to discuss today. Um, but we go, before we go to the specifics, Adam, I, I want to just let, – let's summarize what does it really solve. I have my own list here that the sort of the targets um, we're going after. But what does it solve? Restructuring – that sounds like a lot of work to restructure the whole team, rethink the you know, uh, job uh, descriptions, all those things. What does it solve? So it's a very good question. Um, there's a holistic view of a business, and I think you know one of the things that I'm working on now is building a consulting framework around a lot of these concepts because what happens in the past is that often people work on very isolated parts of their business um, and you don't get an overall picture of it. Um, so one of the things that happened the other day was a, a client of mine produced a document showing their commitment to their owners, uh, to their landlord. So it was basically a three-page document saying we commit to all these service agreements about returning messages and phone calls and commitment to inspections and things like that. However, what they hadn't done was they hadn't worked within their team environment to deliver on that. So in, a, in actual fact, the business may have been slightly worse off by producing this document because now they're making promises to their clients that they actually can't commit to. So what you need to do is the core of this is to put together a framework for your team. And while you're putting together this framework, you're actually solving a hundred other problems within your business. Um, so you're putting together a, a, a framework to actually focus on your team, measure KPIs, measure performance of your team, and all that really delivers a better quality product to your clients um, so that you can actually now deliver on the commitments that you're making to your clients. Absolutely. And, you know, I went through your PowerPoint, you know, time and time again. Uh, I think I downloaded uh, a while back. And, and, and as we are restructuring into this new um, uh, framework internally, you know, I've, I have had to study, uh, study it back and forth. And, and the, the things that I feel like the, the biggest outcomes I'm looking at it, uh, I'm looking as an advantage uh, for doing the, all this restructuring work is team recruiting, team retention, team turnover, uh, fixing the turnover, right? Uh, because they have a path. And we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. And then most importantly, it's the customer satisfaction, customer experience, which equals retention, right? Um, improved retention equals, you know, higher dollar, dollar value per each customer acquired, which means you can spend more money f to acquire customers, which means you can grow faster than your, co than your competitors without sacrificing profitability. How is that for a reason? That's absolutely spot on. And when you go through, we go further into the context of some of this restructure, you know, some of the business problems that it does solve is things like recruitment, for example. What you're doing is you're employing more sustainable staff. There's more longevity for the business. You're automatically reducing costs on recruitment and training. You then have a more engaged client because you have more consistency in your, in your service. So you go through all that things like covering leave, career progression. It ticks a lot of those boxes as well, particularly uh, cultural alignment 
is you get more of a, a cultural alignment with a high-performing team. People are interested in achieving the same goal for the business. Uh, and absolutely, the byproduct is that, is lower staff churn and better customer service. Uh, so all around, it seems to tick a lot of boxes. Excellent. So let's get into it. I think, it's, I think we've sold it enough for our <laughs> listeners to sort of be anxious in hearing sort of how it works. So if you don't mind, Adam, take us through sort of the, the, the concept of existing structure and this new structure. Absolutely. So in the past, we've worked with a lot of offices that kind of work in Australia here. We have two kind of very different frameworks. We have what's called the portfolio framework. We call the portfolio framework, which is basically one property manager looks after a, a portfolio of properties from start to finish. Um, so they look after all the leasing and the repairs and the maintenance and the inspections, contact with owners, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and it is a relatively efficient way of doing business because you have one single point of contact with your owner. Um, we then have what's called a task-based system. And what happens is you then get a group of property managers and you, you cut them up into looking after specific areas of the property management business. So some people look after letting and inspections and other people look after repairs and maintenance and other people look after the core planning around the owner contacts and things like that. So what you end up is you end up with these very siloed um, approach to property management and there's all these gray areas, you have very confused owners, you have very confused staff and you lose a lot of efficiency in that. What the problem is with both of those concepts is neither of them provide uh, a career path for the property manager, neither of them provide any real accountability uh, and particularly the portfolio structure which is probably slightly better of the two is you have all these issues with as soon as a property manager leaves you lose a lot of your information, a lot of your owner information and your, your portfolio information goes out the door with their head. Um, you then have this very large amount of downtime, which is kind of six weeks or two months where you're recruiting uh, and trying to train a new property manager to take on that portfolio. You also have a very flat structure in the fact that you have a lot of people reporting to you as a manager. Um, so I've worked in quite a lot of big businesses. In fact, you know, a lot of my history is around going into big businesses and really tidying them up and get them performing again. Um, and one business that I walked into, he had 26 property managers reporting directly to him. And you can't sustain that and manage the business going forward as a leader. Um, so the portfolio structure, again, has these, all, these issues around reporting, longevity, recruitment, um, just covering from leave. So what happened is we found all these issues and we went to work to try and solve them all, which is where the new framework came into play. So the new framework is about creating what we call a pod. So it's still a three-team uh, structure, but what there is is there's definitely a hierarchy and seniority in it, and we start with at the lower level what we call a property associate, and they're kind of an entry-level role into the business. Uh, in the middle of the of the org chart, we have a property manager, and obviously they're the, the core heavy day-to-day -day lifting. And then at the top, we have what's called a property manager executive. So the important thing about this pod is one of the things we learned from small businesses is in a small business, um, things often work very efficiently because everyone works quite closely together. And often in the same office, they're probably sitting right next to each other. And there's a lot of efficiency that comes out of that. So one of the things with creating these pods is you kind of get that efficiency back in. But the important thing about this is how the pod actually works, is that you don't silo the task between those three roles. Each of those shares a portion of the task. Um, so let me just use arrears as an example. So the property associate may print the arrears report every morning or analyze the arrears report every morning. What report? I'm sorry, Adam. Just, just clarify. So we have, an, what, we have an arrears report. Uh, in arrears, okay. So late payments. Yeah, yeah, yeah late payments, yeah. Got so it, they, might, they might pull the late payments report or monitor it. They might actually send text messages or reminders off to those tenants or whatever it is. It will then go to the property manager. The property manager will do the next task. Um, and those tasks are often around experience as well. So the property manager's role would now be to issue any notices that need to go out for rent default uh, or rent arrears and things like that. Um, and then after that, they're finished with it, it would then go to property manager executive. Property manager executive would deal with any escalated cases where there's terminations due and things like that, uh, evictions due. So there's kind of a very much a hierarchy in the process of nearly every task in property management. So we can duplicate that into this org chart. Um, but one of the other key things with this org chart is the property manager executive takes on more of a leadership and mentoring role. Um, and what they're doing is they're feeding their knowledge back down into the pod so that those people have now a career path. Um, they're learning from the people above them and they're being able to move up. 
Um, so you can go from a property manager associate in one pod and then you can move up to a property manager in another pod next door uh, or in that pod, you know, as you move through your career. So it's starting now to offer a career path. Property manager executive also takes on the accountability role. Um, so the KPIs are all stopped with the property manager executive. So it's their job to make sure that the team below them are reporting well and working efficiently, efficiently and making sure that they've got the tools to do that job as well. So that's where the new org chart come in. So you also save all these other things we talked about. So uh, if somebody from that, uh, from that pod leaves, you've still got two people in the pod. So you're not losing any of that knowledge out of the pod and it's very easy to slip a new person into it, particularly if the property manager left, for example. Uh, the PME is now kind of, they've been in that role and they're trained up. Uh, they've probably covered the property manager during leaves, varying times and taken on extra responsibility. They're ready to move up into that role, which is a natural progression. And then you can actually recruit entry-level role into the business and that protects your culture. It makes sure that new staff are learning your systems and procedures and that you're not contaminating your business with all that good work that you put into it by bringing an outside mid-level property manager that has their own systems and procedures. It helps glue everything back together. So that's kind of the over the, the, the bigger picture on, on how this system or this concept came about on trying to solve all those problems that we talked about before with this new org chart type structure. Gotcha. So that that is pretty cool. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting. Uh, that's a tough nut to cr- to crack, as they say. But let's crack it open and and start sort of inspecting the components, um, and, and then we'll put it back together for the audience. So uh, what you're saying, Adam? Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, and I don't have a hundred percent grasp on it because we're just starting on it. I think I have a decent grasp. Um, but I did want to clarify before this. I want to clarify one term, uh, set of terminology: um, pod versus squad. Is there a difference? No, there's not. And unfortunately, as a team, we've been challenging that around. The, the term pod has been used in the past around that task-based structure that we discussed before very loosely. Um, so we did originally launch it as pod, and I think it might even be pod in the book. But we are definitely um, uh, uh, changing our concept more to a squad-type structure only because we feel that no one's really claimed that term yet. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, definitely a squad is the way we've been pitching it lately. So that's, it's, that's a great concept. Gotcha. So yeah, here internally we call the pod, and this is was was our structure right now. Our current structure is um, account manager and assistant account manager. In a lot of cases, it goes very parallel: property management, assistant property manager, right? Property manager, assistant property manager. So that's a pod in our in our speak here internally in four and a half. Uh, that's a pod. A squad is what we go into, right? And a squad yep. is what we're talking about. So I just want to make sure we get that straight. And by the way, you should guys definitely. Figure out a a nice acronym for it, like you know, squad based performance team, SPMF, whatever that turns out to be. So that's really it'll be because I was introducing the topic, Adam, and frankly, I'm like, how do I call this thing? <laughs> I agree. We need something for it, don't we? Yeah, some 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 nice acronym that 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 just sings to you. Um, but you know, um, gimmicky it may be. I think. Again, it's easier for people to own things that, that, that sort of interpret well. And in this case, this interprets really well, except that we don't have the actual name. Well, I call it squad-based structure. So that's, let's just stick with that for now, and then maybe we can, you guys can figure out something else, and we'll call it something else. So um, with that, um, I, you know, I, let, let me see. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just trying to just filter hundred of questions that I have and get to one. Um, specifically, the structure you mentioned is assistant property manager, property manager, and property management executive. Can you, do you mind give us a sort of a quick say, a synopsis of each of these positions, kind of what their responsibility, responsibility levels are? Absolutely. Let's start in the middle of the org chart. So what we typically we have is a property manager. Um, and I think most agencies kind of understand the concept of a property manager. So we haven't really changed that. Um, that the core role is to manage the property management function uh, of the portfolio or the squad, let's call it. Um, so their idea is uh, they're skilled up uh, completely in all tasks in property management. But what we say is that there's some efficiency, inefficiencies in a general property manager where they probably don't have the skills to make leadership decisions or management decisions or decisions that are actually affecting the whole business. So they're kind of isolated uh, into just doing their role. They probably aren't really also engaged in the business uh, as a whole 
uh, and what the business is trying to achieve. So what we find is property managers generally work in these little pods, but they're the workhorse of the pod and they do a great job. So we've still kept that role uh, and it's really important that, you know, that is the foundation for the, the actual the squad. What we've done is we've we've changed the assistant. So the assistant, which we call the property associate, um, is basically a junior role. Um, like with any associate, it's a role that's designed to learn and progress and build into a, a bigger role. Um, but the key to that is in the old system, it was like property manager, assistant, property manager, assistant, property manager used to do all the garbage, used to palm them, you know, leases drawer up and filing to do and all that sort of stuff. Um, and by default, they'd work in that until they could, you know, basically claw their way into a property manager's role. But the key with this is the property associate is designed to learn in that role, but also relieve a bit of the pressure from the property manager. So the property manager can focus more on their core tasks, accountability, you know, meeting their clients' obligations and things like that. So it's it's very much an entry entry level role into the business where you can now nurture that train them in your skills, train them in your systems and procedures and absolutely get them to embrace in your culture. So that's a really, really important part of the property associate. It's not just an assistant role. It's very much about them growing and evolving to benefit the pod and themselves uh, or the squad and themselves. Um, so that's the, the property associate role. And then what we do is we go into the property managing executive role. So we felt there was need for a senior role that was really good in managing the escalated parts of property management. So conflict, overdue repairs, um, rent default, um, managing the, the owners, for example. So in the, in the squad structure, we generally have the property manager executive managing the owner relationship and the property manager managing the tenant relationship. Again, the workhorse really good at getting something done, really good at the relationships with the tenants. But to manage an owner or to manage a landlord, we feel there's just that extra level of knowledge that needs to be there to manage that. Um, so we give that role to the property manager executive. So it's very much a senior role. They're more engaged in the business. They're under, more understanding of what the business is trying to achieve. And they also have probably what you would almost call leadership qualities, um, where they have the ability to actually mentor and train people below them. And some property managers don't have that, and that's okay. Um, but for property managers that do have that, let's recognize that and put them into a role where they can use those skills uh, to influence others within the business. So that's kind of the, the nut of the three roles and why they came about. Got you. Have you heard of... Um uh, we have here in the U.S. there are three distinct structures of, of team structures for the property management shops. One is you mentioned portfolio. Second is uh, task oriented. They call it something else. I can't I can't remember. I, I can never remember. It's basically a factory, right? <laughs> it's a factory, right? With people do widgets um, and have their own little stations. And a third is hybrid, where a property manager has this quite significant support network. Somebody else does maintenance. And they're in charge of the maintenance. Somebody else does, well, the same late notices, right? Somebody else, like there's, there's these sort of uh, functions within the company and the property manager still gets to be the face, yet the, the work happens through those sort of specific functions within the company. Have you heard of that? And is that sort of popular in Australia? It's not popular in Australia. We do have that. It does happen in Australia. So one of the terms that we like to steer clear of in Australia is senior property manager because often they get that role from longevity rather than from experience. Um, but what you do find is that uh, sometimes senior property managers go into these businesses and they actually stay there and become quite loyal um, uh, staff members, which is fantastic. But what happens is that they end up building the team around them. And this is what you've kind of described is sometimes what happens here is that they get really, really busy. And what they do is they then start employing people below them to take on some of these tasks to help relieve the pressure from them so they can manage the clients. This particularly happens in these situations because the senior doesn't want to give up their relationship with the client. So they've been there for a long time. Perhaps they've actually bought on a lot of those clients themselves and have relationships with them and they don't want to give those relationships up. So we do see it in Australia. It's not common. It really only happens by default through longevity, um, but it's definitely not a successful way of doing business. The senior property manager often isn't skilled enough to manage all those different workflows going on. And what you end up is that people start doing their own things. Um, so the leasing consultant kind of just makes up their job as they go along or the person doing repairs and maintenance just makes it up as they go along uh, because they don't have the mentoring from the senior property manager that they really need. Um, well, so, about, sorry, go ahead. 
No, so basically what we're finding with that structure is it's really happening by default, which means there's no framework in it. Uh, there's no places for people to progress. Um, there's no support for the leader to manage a team because it was never really a recognized structure. Um, so there was no framework put into it. So those things are true uh, about the progression and, and, and KPIs and reporting, which we'll get into again later. But um, the hybrids are sort of, I think, in my opinion, at this current state in the U.S., are, are, are very popular and, and a lot of people are moving towards them. Um, and maybe I didn't explain myself right. So, you know, property manager is still the relationship head, and maybe I have, but property manager is the relationship person, but there's a maintenance department. And so whatever they have a maintenance request, you know, maintenance department receives it and solves it, right? The property manager stays abreast of it, but, you know, technically it's the maintenance department's job. There's a leasing department. Leasing department advertises and, and follows through and does, the, you know, walkthroughs and inspections in the inspection department. And so the property manager is really just on the phone. I should have put an airplane mode. Note to self. The property manager is really on the phone with customers. How does that, does, does that, does that happen in Australia? You guys have the hybrid the true hybrid? No, no we, we don't have a true hybrid. And I think that you, there's not one size that fits all in property management. I think one of the things that we're pushing here today is more making sure that you have a structure, that you have a framework, and that that is documented and supported. So I think it doesn't matter what the framework is. Um, one size doesn't fit all. I think you need to be kind of dynamic in this industry. Um, but I think what the framework is, what it is, is making sure you've got a framework in there. So if you're putting a hybrid business in place and you have the framework to make sure that the maintenance people are reporting, um, that you have the right mechanisms for training and, and all that sort of stuff around the framework, I think there's no problems in implementing um, that sort of thing. But definitely not common practice in Australia, no. Gotcha. Um, in my, you know, for, in my opinion, for what it's worth, is the squad structure is still vastly superior just because of that team satisfaction, team retention, and also customer experience. Because again, the property manager, if he's sick, she's sick. You know, yeah, the maintenance is being handle, handled potentially. Uh, the the pr properties are being leased potentially, but there's no accountability. Nobody talking to customers. Absolutely. So what one happened? of the things, yeah, one of the things with our org chart, um, I rolled it out into a business a few, many, many years back, and we used a very much a trial pod that wanted to work together. They actually kind of volunteered to do the process, and they had they were all working closely together in their own pods, but they kind of had a quite a good relationship and a culture between them. So they put this pod together, and, and kind of within three months of this squad coming together, the property manager, obviously the core role decided he wanted to go and leave for six weeks. And they kind of all panicked and said, what are we going to do? Um, and I said to them, stop, just wait. This is this is what this is exactly designed for. So their property manager actually went away for, for six weeks. They did be quite proactive. They made sure all their inspections were up to date and everything was kind of operating at 100% efficiency before he left. But that property manager came back and there was not one phone call that was ever missed from a, an owner or a tenant. There was not one piece of work that was done. His emails were looked after and he came back to a clean desk. Uh, and I think that's really, really important because what you then have is you've had no loss of efficiency in the business whatsoever while he's been away. You've had no reduction of service to your clients, no reduction of service to your tenants. Plus you've also, which is a kind of a different, we won't go too far into this tangent, is property managers often begrudge doing training and taking leave because they come back to this mountain of work on their desk. So you've also got to satisfy a property manager because he's come back and there's nothing there. Um, so this is where this structure, we think, really powers itself um, to be, you know, really adaptable to the business. Mm, really good. So, I, you know, I, I think the department and, and a hybrid structure still has still is the best out of the three. If you did not know nothing about this show, if you haven't listened, if you're not a listener, or if you didn't read um, Ben White's book, if you if you don't know uh, Adam Hooley, then then probably hybrid. In my opinion, sounds good. But you know what squad? The way I envision this for my company and my customers as well. That what squad is introducing is this immense sort of lift in team as well as your customer experience, but also the departments that you have. That Let's say you need a maintenance department because you've reached certain volume and the requests are just endless and, and the work is sort of consistent and you know exactly what to do. Or maybe it's the inspection department, whatever. I think those can be sort of um, truly handled by VAs or virtual assistants. In a lot of ways, if it's a procedural work that you do a lot of or property condition reports, whatever those are, you know, the, the VAs can handle that and the squads can choreograph the whole thing 
and 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 I think, in my opinion, this is like this is the structure of of the dream team, right? Of a, of a company that's positioned to grow and accept scale as as sort of new opportunities come. Um, so we want to go, Adam. Want to go to KPIs next? Uh, so you know, shuffle up your notes and, and get yourself in that position. That you know, key performance indicators and how do you actually measure? And I'm keenly interested in this. How do you measure success? But let me talk about my sponsor while you shuffle your notes. Um, so my first sponsor today. There's two sponsors that brought this show to you. I'm talk about the PM Growth Summit. I am one of the co-founders of the PM Growth Summit, and guys, you know, at this show, you'll find out all the latest information. So I wanted to say, firstly, it's the conference for for the property management entrepreneurs looking to grow their business. That's it. We're gonna focus on growth, but growth has many flavors. Growth has the team structure. Growth has the culture. Team culture. Growth has you know marketing and sales, and of course all those things. Now the speakers we bring the the speaker lineup this year is going to be amazing well firstly adam is going to speak um you know and i'm quite excited about that uh he's traveling from australia all the way from australia to talk to us on this team structure concept so get your questions ready you'll be hanging out in the vip room and sort of you can kind of uh um bounce ideas off of him marcus sheridan no quantity last year best speaker victor antonio Really good uh, uh, speaker, keynote speaker for in terms of sales and helping you put together a sales process. Jason Goldberg, um, great guy, I'm a personal coach, amazing speaker, TED TED speaker, TED level speaker. Uh, Andrew Props, Bob Walters, also from Australia, LPMA. Uh, Casey McDonald's going to speak, also from Australia. We got a lot of people from Australia, Adam. <laughs> you guys that's are, awesome that's awesome you are guys in my opinion are quite advanced in organizational structure a uh, bit behind on tech but way more advanced in organizing systems and part of the reason i think you have a lot of consultants that sort of and i was jokingly saying that hey you guys should have a conference for consultants for the property managers <laughs> you know so so, so and, and because of the all the all that th- sort of all, all that thinking going on and people that are working on the business for these property management companies, I think that's, that, that's, that's the reason the structures and the systems are more advanced than what we have here. But uh, one other thing about the PM Growth Summit, guys, and you can go to pmgrowsummit.com, www.pmgrowsummit.com, get the ticket. One more thing, I'm going to introduce another speaker we just booked. He's a founder of Duct Tape Marketing. His name is John Jans, immensely popular, you know, one of the like biggest names in small business marketing, true entrepreneur. Um, I'm very excited to have him on. So he's going to uh, speak at the PM Growth Summit as well. Um, so guys, we include all of your food, beverages, drinks, uh, uh, parties, um, and and education as well as recorded sessions, slides, and notes. All of that is part of the ticket price. We want to control your experience completely when you get to that conference. Your job is to get a plane ticket, book a hotel, get there. We'll take care of everything else. Go to pmgrowsummit.com, get your ticket, and we'll see you in January 2018. All right, Adam, you ready for the KPI? Yep, pumped. Back and forth. All right. So as a business owner, restructuring into squads, I have some sort of notions that this is going to work well. I have, I have really good sort of projections that it's going to work well. But what do I need to keep track of to measure and understand the impact this structure is having on my business, A, and the impact it's having on my customers and maybe my bottom line? I think with the KPIs in the business, there's three definite silos that you need to keep a track of. Um, so you've got your customer-facing um, uh, measurements, making sure that you're delivering on what you're promising. Um, then you have your team measurements, which are making sure that uh, your team are doing what they're responsible for. Um, and then, of course, you have your financial goals, which is kind of wrapped around the top. But there's definitely three things that you need to focus on. Um, the NPS one, which is kind of really, really important, we put that in place years ago. Now, that's not Obviously, that's the Net Promoter School. That's obviously not ours. It was just something that we took and ran with because we believed in it. Um, we found it really, really important to measure what your customer is getting from you. So a lot of people, they were really good at KPIs, putting performance KPIs in for their business and measuring on what they were delivering, coming up with their point of difference, all this really cool stuff that you work on in a business, making sure that – but is anyone ever starting to measure 
what your customer is seeing. Are you actually delivering what you say you're going to deliver? And that's where the front side of it, the, the NPS that we kind of preach for um, measuring your customer service, that's where that comes, comes into play. Now, the reason without kind of plugging NPS, you can use any survey tool that you like, but what we find with NPS is you need to be able to benchmark that as a business so you can learn from it, so you can measure it, you can grow. And, and NPS offers that benchmarking program where you can actually do your survey results and measure improvement on your business. So just sending out you know, a five-question survey doesn't do a lot. It does give you feedback on where you can improve and what you're delivering on, but you can't measure on that. It's really, really important that you can measure something so that you can measure improvement on it so you can celebrate it as a team. Mm. Go ahead. The go other ahead. one, the, the second one was the key performance indicators. So I have a list of about 20. We, we have a spreadsheet at the office which actually has 100 in them which we've put together as a team. But I have a list of about 20 core ones which I generally use when I go into a business. Now, to me, you need to, as a property management business, you need to have at least 10 KPIs. Many of the businesses I walk into, I go, what are your KPIs? And they say, we need to keep our, our rears or a default to a set level. And I've gone, that's awesome because that's kind of a, a good focal point in your business. But what about all these other things? What about your lease expiries? What about your, your periodic inspections? Uh, what about your overdue invoices from tenants? All this other stuff that you need to be measuring in the business to make sure the business is operating. Now, from a manager's perspective, you can do that from your chair. Now, I'm not advocating at all that you don't actually go and speak to your staff. But one of the most important things is you can identify very quickly through managing these KPIs in trend graphs where things are going pear-shaped. Um, and one of the examples that I often use is um, in some of the, the, the states here in Queensland, they've had very buoyant rental markets for many, many years. Um, and what happened is the rental market fell um, and the days vacant on market increased um, from average 14 days to nearly 60 days. And all the KPI figures demonstrated that. So what it did is it demonstrated for the business manager that I have an overall business problem here. So we identified the business problem. The business problem was that the property managers didn't know how to negotiate rent reductions um, because they'd never had to do it before. Um, so you can clearly identify very quickly what's happening within your business and how to rectify those problems. It's the same with an individual team member. If you see an individual team member start to spear off in their KPIs, you recognise it instantaneously. And then you can work out, is it that they're having problems at home and, and neglecting their work or do they need to improve in their role? So I think that's one of the key things with KPIs. It's, it's really easy to, to mark improvement for your team. Where are the areas that you're not improving on at the moment and how can I help you improve on those? Where are the areas that you're actually doing really well on and how can we celebrate those? And in many instances, we use this thing called champions, which we use from the KPI model, is that if you're really, really good at something, so you're really good at, at arrears or rent default, um, then you would be the person that trains new team members on that particular thing because you'll now set the benchmark for the business. Um, so it's now using the KPIs to recognise good and help to improve bad. Um, and I found in many offices that I've been into where normally you would just um, uh, retrench or sack a staff member that's not performing, once they've introduced these KPIs or these performance indicators for their teams, what they've found is they can now identify the key areas where the staff's not performing and they can help improve those areas. And in many instances, those staff weren't forced out of the business anymore. They were actually engaged into the business because they were given the support they needed to grow and improve. So the, cap the team KPIs tick kind of several different boxes there. They're making sure that your team are identifying areas of your team for improvement, but also that they're including, uh, increasing efficiency in your business. So that one's really, really important. And I have been into businesses where they've increased their KPI from 5 out of 20 to 18 out of 20 as an office average. And at 5 out of 20, it was a very reactive business. People were just stumbling over their feet. The phones were ringing madly, lots of emails coming in. And they were really just dealing with the thing that the person that was yelling the loudest. Hmm. And at 18 out of 20 and 17 out of 20, and you can probably sympathize with that, Alex, because you've probably spoken to heaps of businesses that are like that. They just can't get past it. They don't understand why their phones won't stop ringing. Once you actually get to that 17 and 18 out of 20, what you're finding is the, the, the efficiency has increased so much in your business that there is actually time now to go and have team lunches, to play cricket up the hall and, and muck around and have chit-chat around the water cooler. And I think that's really, really important for your culture, not only for your team but as your leader. Um, I remember years ago as a leader, I remember I used to begrudge my team standing around the water cooler chatting. Um, it was like a waste of time for me. But once we kind of got the team to a level where they were efficient, I used to encourage it. I embraced it. 
Um, so there's very much a difference in culture once you've got this high-performing team in place and you're measuring them with these KPIs. Mm. Very interesting. So a couple things uh, I want to add to this and, and correct me. Like, Feel free to just jump in and correct me because, again, I'm working off of your model and making it my own. So um, um, number one, the property manager, the PME, the property manager, the executive, the guy or the gal who's heading up the squad is responsible for KPIs. So you know, as a business owner, you're going to get that report delivered to you. Right. That's that's the expectation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So so so, you know, that's one, you know, and and they will be sort of responsible for compiling numbers and keeping those up. And that is huge help. Right. As a business owner, you know, you can't have your fingers at everything. And 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 that's that takes immense amount of time. Secondly, you mentioned about NPS. I do want to present an alternative, though. NPS is something that we're just learning to um, implement ourselves here. And we're not even there yet. This is on the list of things that we're going to do. Just not. Not quite uh, rolling out right now, but uh, in my opinion, one way, the easiest possible way to measure impact and customer experience um, and, you know, is, is measuring your reviews. I mean, literally, you know, if you're on four and a half and, and you do and do constant reputation uh, um, surveys all the time, you can see your average is quite easy on the reputation.com platform that we, uh, we provide. But even if you're not, you don't need to be, right? Just go into your... Google and Yelp, you know, averages, and take the benchmark today, restructure into squads, right, as you restructure, you know, and see what the impact is and take the next 12 months reviews, and you'll have a really, really good measure. Uh, you know, if your average business rating is three and a half stars, you know, what if it goes to four and a half or, or what if it goes to four? You know, then you'll know as at least you have sort of validated you know, true customer reactions, you know, tenants are happy, owners are happier, therefore you get better reviews. I know that that's just a thought out there. Um, if people don't have or businesses don't have any sort of MPS or any other kind of service, that's another way to do it. Oh, absolutely. Again, Alex, what I guess I, I like to pitch is a framework. As long as you've got a framework and a measurement that you can measure improvement while, you know, that's all you need. And that's a really good example because it's so easy to do. Any business can implement that. Yeah, and you know, honestly, we all live and die by our customer reviews, by our public customer reviews. So it will be a good measure benchmark to take a snapshot off as you embark on this restructuring and then going back and, and, and measuring against it. Um, all right, so let, let's talk about my second sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to sort of uh, finish up with how to implement the system. Let's say we're sold on this. Let's say this is something we want to make a move on. How do I do it? You know, do I take steps? And what are the baby steps? And if I don't want to take steps, I just want to do it. How do I do it? So, um, Adam, if you want to talk about that in just a minute, that'd be great. But in the meantime, I want to talk about one big problem that I find a lot of my customers are in. And that is, in fact, every small business in this, in this sort of, in this bucket, right? And this bucket is Underspending on marketing. If you underspend on marketing, you cut the opportunity size for your business quite significantly. In fact, most of my clients I speak with usually spend anywhere from two to four percent, three percent on marketing, and that's usually the the guys who who grow pretty fast, right? The majority of businesses don't even spend that much, and the reason why I just finally came together for me. The reason why businesses don't spend on marketing and my dad owns a small deli and and he doesn't market at all and i couldn't understand like what are you doing that your son is like market running a marketing company you, you could at least send some postcards man and he wouldn't and 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 so what i understood is this there's a lot of brouhaha out there and you know there's a lot of high octane marketing individuals you know screaming at you and by the way high octane marketing individuals i'm coining that term into homie right? H-O-M-I. Um, and these guys are screaming at you. And the thing is, you're probably f- taking them up on it and you've probably fell down on your face and lost uh, a good amount of money. You know, so one for the homie, zero for you, right? So essentially, the business owners are worried about, you know, putting that money in a dumpster, right? It, it, they're getting cheated. This marketing is the last sort of frontier where the salesman knows more than a business owner. And that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. But in reality, this costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars in opportunity. Let me give you an example. Company A spends $50,000 a year on marketing, gets 70 new management contracts. Company B spends 20000 on marketing, only gets 30 
new managements per year. You know what the difference is in annual contract value? In other words, how much money you didn't get this year? $100,000 exactly, right? The difference is vast. The problem is that for a person who's only spending 20000 to make a leap to 50000 they need to know that that money is actually being spent on something that works, right? So the, marketing, the market is too fragmented, too complicated, too loud, and too risky for, for a normal business owner to do. So I've decided to stay, step in and do something about it. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to do CMO strategic level consulting. Me personally, Alex, going to do this. I'm going to put together a marketing plan with an execution blueprint so you know exactly what channels to deploy, how to deploy them, and, and where and how, and how to do it. You know, unit economics modeling. So once you have a marketing plan, you got to figure out how do you forecast for success, how do you measure success, and unit economics get down all the way to a single property level, what the profitability is, what the income is, and so on. So you know exactly what each property is worth to you. And then uh, we're going to talk about your fee structure and remodel your fee structure to be more competitive, to get more add-on value-add services into your sort of a, um, into your client base and introduce these other fees that you can actually bring value to your clients and make money on. Um, we're going to talk about the whole pre-sale customer experience from from the first phone call or from the first visit to the website all the way down to them signing a contract what is that experience we're going to basically put it out on the on a map and and re sort of rethink it restructure it to make sure the customer experience is flawless from the beginning to end and also we can have some optional cmo level quarterly strategy calls anyway that's going to be expensive so you know we're talking about five thousand dollars for a full day um so if you're interested Send me an email, alex at fourandhalf.com. I'll send you a questionnaire, an intake form to make sure it's right for you. You know, it depends where you are in the stage of your business. You may not need this. I want to make sure that you truly do need this, and this is truly going to be a win-win scenario. And if it is, you know, I'd love to work with you. So let me know. Anyway, Adam, sorry for this break. Let's get back into it. How do you implement squad structure? Ah, very good question. So one of the things, a lot of people grab this with two arms and a run with it, which I think is really, really exciting. But one of the things is really, really important is don't go back to your office and sack your team and start again. That's definitely not what you want to accomplish here. Um, you, you really want to plan this out. Uh, and with a lot of offices that I work with, what we do is we actually get index cards out and we put their existing team on the board and then we work out who we can move around, who's growing quicker than others. Potentially, you might have team members that are flagged to leave for maternity leave or partners being transferred or whatever it is. But the idea is that as you roll this out, you take advantage of the coming climate to uh, to leverage off that. Um, what you do find is you've always got someone, you've got a property manager that's really happy just to be a property manager. You've got a, a system property manager that really wants to progress and do really well. You've got a leasing consultant perhaps that was stuck in a leasing consultant role and really wants to move in property management. You've got all these dynamic things happening in your business. And the idea is to leverage off those dynamic things. One of the worst things you can do is just go in and tell your team, right, I'm changing everyone around and just uproot them because that's not going to do anything for your culture whatsoever. It's also not leveraging off the assets of the business. So I think for me, really, really important is to actually plan this out and if you're an office of two or three people, um, you know, it could take six months, it could take 12 months to get this right. Uh, but the important thing is that you have a vision, you share it with your team and you have a plan in place for it. Now, some of that plan, obviously, you, you're not going to, to share the whole lot with your team. You know, there might be team members in there that probably aren't performing and you're going to use part of your new framework to move them on and replace them with better. And that's part of the uh, this restructuring of your team using those opportunities. Um, now, in Australia, we have, I'm not sure about over in the States, we have at the moment quite a high property management turnover for all the reasons that we've talked about. Um, so when you're restructuring your team, often you can guarantee that kind of a percentage of them will leave on their own accord. Um, you will often find, and the good news is, you'll often find that people don't want to be involved in this process. Uh, we find that there are property managers that feel they're really good at their role and they don't feel that they need to be transparent, that they need to be monitored and they need to report KPIs, which is absolutely fine. Because if you're changing your business and you want to work like this and you want to become a high-performing team, you want to make sure that the team are on board with you. Um, and if they're not, then they need to go somewhere else. That's best for them and it's best for your business. So all parties are suited. So to me, I think the really important part about it is not just diving in, to plan ahead, engage your team and progress into it over a period of time. 
if you're a smaller business, and I know in the States you have a lot of smaller businesses, which is awesome. You've got people starting up and wanting to grow their rent rolls. I think that's fantastic. And I think if you can bed this into your business from day one, and to me the first role into the business is probably the property manager. Now, there's kind of other big conversations we can have about if you're focusing on growth and things like that. You know, where do you put a growth team? And, and, and there's lots of other stuff to talk about. But I think if we just isolate things to the property management team at the moment, is the property manager is probably the core role to put in first. Um, don't put, a lot of people put an assistant in or put an associate in because they want to save on cash. Well, you want to actually put the right person in the role to grow that business to start with. And it's really important that the property manager goes in. Then I would then put the property associate underneath and that starts protecting that property management role in case the property manager leaves. You've got someone coming into the business and you're mentoring them. And then as your business grows, then that property manager can move into the property manager executive's role, the property associate into the property manager's role, and you can recruit. And you can start seeing how the dynamics of the pod start to grow and remain in ownership of the original property manager. The culture then evolves into what they want it to be rather than what other people bring into the business. So there are different, depending on your business size, there are different ways of doing this. So I've worked with businesses with 30-odd staff. It's taken nearly two years to transition into the, the squad structure. And I've worked in businesses with one and two staff, and they've been able to do it relatively quickly. Uh, but I think the key is, as I said, don't go and sack your staff or don't go back and just say to your team, right, I've got this great new structure. I'm redoing everything. Um, unless the team can do that. I have been into businesses with six or seven staff, and the team were just weirdly structured um, in, a, in a way that it was just very natural to move into that structure. There are a couple of seniors, there are a couple of juniors, there are a couple of good solid property managers and they're able to move really, really quickly. But don't force it. Let the opportunities arise for you. That is a very, very interesting and good advice. Um, so I love your startup advice. You know, grow into it by hiring a property manager, then bring somebody, an assistant, to protect, as you say, that position in case they leave. You have somebody could step in and then sort of bring in, promote your people within and then bring in another junior role to keep to keep learning and then start building the second squad. That is, that is really good. I like that sort of progression for growing. And, you know, in, in our case, we're going to move pretty quickly because we are in that situation as you said we have a number of senior people number of sort of really really solid people who are you know not quite senior but but sort of ready to to go that way that's where they want to aim and they need a they need a career path otherwise they're tapped out right now and then we have a lot of people who are junior new who just coming in from college and learning this so for us it's natural but 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 i i, I you're right it and and i think if if when you come to speak at the PM Growth Summit, if you can sort of bring in more of that implementation wisdom, that will be great. So spend some time on talking about the specific methodologies for bringing, like, say, a you know, a 10, 12 person team into that structure. How would you do it? What would be Q1, Q2, Q3 would look like, right? So they said it's going to take a year. So what 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 are the specific tasks within each sort of month, each quarter? to move in that direction because I think it's a brilliant structure. I think it's going to take hold. I think it's going to – the winners are going to sort of uh, um, get there quicker than everyone else. Um, but unfortunately for us, we, we're out of time. I mean we've been talking for 52 minutes and that's – you know we just sort of really just scratched the surface honestly. So um, Adam, do you mind giving me a link for the book so people can go and read about this more deeply? Absolutely. I've got one for you. Um, you can actually order a hard copy off Amazon or you can just download a copy for free. Um, so I'll send you that link uh, to download. Absolutely, there's no problems there at all. Excellent. So guys, for you who are listening, we'll put this into the four and a half uh, website show notes or, or an article below this podcast and you'll be able to download this resource at no cost courtesy of who? who what's the company? Uh, LPMA is uh, the company. The books actually come out under Atmosphere. We we publish them under an older brand of ours. So uh, don't get confused with that. Uh, but that's where all the thought leadership is under the Atmosphere. Uh, but uh, LPMA is, is the business that I work so with. So Leading Property Managers of Australia um, and also Ben White and Adam Hooley. Adam, thank you kindly for your time today. This was educational, inspiring, and I'm quite excited about this um, this new structure, uh, and, and I think we all got a lot of it, all out of it. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alex.